0: Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know By Heart, and Then Sings My Soul. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and has just been released. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource, or order from your favorite online retailer. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. So what's bothering you? All over the world, anxiety levels have spiked because of the coronavirus, and not just because of the illness itself, but because of the catastrophic economic ramifications it's causing, Maybe this is running havoc through your mind, or maybe you're bothered by something else altogether. Our lives are filled with concerns, and our world is awash in worry. This series of podcasts is a Bible study based on three passages of Scripture, and it's predicated by a very simple thesis. What if God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit came down and surrounded you and asked, what's bothering you? There are three passages in the Bible which seem to me to be the Bible's most definitive passages on the subject of worry, and I believe they represent what the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would have to say on those issues. The first passage is Psalm 37, in which our great Jehovah Yahweh God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, speaks. He opens Psalm 37 with three words, do not fret. This is such a great psalm that I've spent about two months memorizing portions of it, and I've also spent several weeks teaching it on this podcast. Today, I want to continue our study of Psalm 37 and what the Lord has to say here about fearing and fretting. If you're in a place where you can open your Bible and study with me, turn to Psalm 37 I sort of envision this podcast reaching some people who will be sitting at a desk or a table. They'll open their Bible, they'll take some notes, and this will be our Bible study together. But if you're taking a walk or in your car, you can still listen and then look up the reference on a more convenient occasion. For this portion of our study, I'm using the New King James Version because that's the way that I originally began to study this psalm some years ago. The first three words here, do not fret, represent a commandment. And the word fret means to be agitated or nervous or upset about things. Well, in this opening paragraph of Psalm 37, the Lord gives us a wonderful set of bullet points about what we should be doing instead of fretting. So let's read verses 1 through 4. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now these verses we have already covered in previous episodes. So today let's go on now to verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I want to focus on this wonderful phrase, commit your way to the Lord. Just think of that phrase again, commit your way to the Lord. Underline it. The word commit means to totally entrust something valuable into their care and the keeping of another who will take care of it for you. When my son-in-law came home from overseas combat, he gave me a medal he received. It's a very honorable and precious citation, but he was suffering from the trauma of war. He really didn't want it around his house to remind him of what he had gone through, but he also didn't want to lose it. It will mean a lot to the children in the future. So he committed it to my care and keeping Years ago, when our three children were young, Katrina and I needed to go to California for a series of meetings over a long weekend, I called my mother and I asked her to come to Nashville and to watch our children while we were gone. That weekend, we committed our children into her care. The Bible uses this very term about Joseph in the book of Genesis. When he became the assistant or the steward for the great Egyptian rich man Potiphar, The Bible says that Potiphar committed all that he had into Joseph's hands. And then in the New Testament, when Jesus was bearing our sins on the cross, he prayed to the Father and said, Into your hands I commit my spirit. He was entrusting himself totally into his Father's keeping even at the moment of death. The Apostle Paul made it his practice with local congregations to commit them to the Lord. He couldn't stay forever with every newly planted church. He started one and then moved on and started another and moved on, but he committed each one to the Heavenly Father. In Acts chapter 16 verse 21, it says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in each church and with prayer, and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. He committed his churches to the Lord with prayer and fasting and entrusted those people to God's watch care. So when we commit something or someone to the Lord, then we are entrusting it to him. Now let's take it a step further. When we do that, and then we live in anxiety about it or we continue to worry about it, what does it say? Well, it says that we don't really trust the person into whose hands we have committed our treasure. And in the same way, when we take something that is valuable or precious or maybe troubling to us, and we commit it to the Lord, well, we should have a greater degree of peace when we do that We should have a reduced level of fretting. That's the teaching here of Psalm 37. And if we don't, we need to go back and review these aspects, including the verse that says, trust in the Lord. Now, we can commit anything to the Lord, anything that is precious to us or of concern to us. I read recently an article by Jennifer Flanders, who said that she and her family had built their house, and when they were in the process of it some years ago, She said, we committed every phase of the process to the Lord. They prayed for his blessings when the foundation were laid. They wrote verses of scripture on the studs when the house was framed. She said, we committed it to the Lord as the finishing touches were applied. We relied on God's abundant provision of strength and energy when the time finally came to move in. I think we can take a cue from Jennifer's articles. For example, did you buy a new truck or car recently? Well, take a moment and commit it to the Lord. I don't know if this sounds silly to you. Maybe I've not done this myself. I've just been thinking about it. But when you buy a new vehicle, what if you went out and laid your hands on the roof and prayed and committed that vehicle to the Lord? Or maybe your new computer or your laptop or your new piece of furniture, you commit it to the Lord. More importantly, what if God gives you a new child, a new member to your family. Commit that loved one to the Lord in a definite act of prayer, and perhaps a prayer and fasting, as Paul and Barnabas did with those churches. Do you have an opportunity coming up? Commit it to the Lord. I remember preparing my first sermon. I was a young teenager, and my pastor, Winford R. Floyd, had asked me to preach on what came to be called Youth Sunday, and he helped me to prepare the notes for my sermon. And when it was all typed up in a little manuscript and folded over and slipped into my Bible, he said, now let's commit it to the Lord. And we took that Bible and those papers and we knelt in his office and we spread it out before the Lord and we committed that sermon to the Lord. I don't think it helped the sermon any, as I recall, but the act of committing it to the Lord is something I'll never forget. I think maybe it sometimes helps us to have a personal little ceremony like that, or a ritual. I remember when I sent the manuscript of my book, Mastering Life Before It's Too Late, to the publisher. I hiked up the hill to a particular spot that I knew above our house, and there's a big rock on the crest of the mountain. I know about that rock. I go up there occasionally to pray, and I knelt down there, and I committed that manuscript to the Lord. Well, listen to this verse. Proverbs 16, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. And likewise, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, I know in whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able, he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. I'll tell you, I've been convicted by this concept of committing things to the Lord. In the last year, I've made purchases. I've faced difficulties. I've had opportunities. And in a generalized way, I believe I've committed them to the Lord. I've prayed about them. But now it seems to me that maybe I should be more intentional about this act of committing things to the Lord. There are times when maybe I should set aside five minutes or ten minutes or a period of time to officially commit certain matters or certain people or certain items or certain dreams or certain opportunities to the Lord. Again, Proverbs 16.3 says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. So let's take a moment and review. Psalm 37 says, do not fret. Instead, number one, trust the Lord. Number two, do good, get busy, do the next thing. Number three, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Number four, delight yourself also in the Lord. And number five, commit your way to the Lord. And now let's go on to verse seven. Because this gives us the sixth way to displace a fretful mind. Verse 7 says, Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. I feel overwhelmed by this phrase. And to my surprise, it is technically the only time that this exact phrase occurs in the entire Bible. Here in Psalm 37, verse 7. But the concept of spiritual and internal and emotional rest is everywhere in the Bible. The Hebrew word means to grow silent or to be still, and this word is used many times in the scripture. It's the picture of a fretful child who calms down and rests in the arms of his father or mother. And in fact, Psalm 131 says, I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God alone. My hope comes from him. One writer said his name was David George. Resting in the Lord involves a change of attitude, admitting that I'm not in control. It does not mean literal inactivity. But it does mean a conscious, moment-by-moment awareness of his presence, love, and leadership. It means acknowledging God's sovereignty in the simplest as well as in the grandest affairs of my life. My favorite Bible teacher, or I should say one of them, and the one who had the most impact on my wife Katrina, was Major Ian Thomas. Here's what he had to say. Most folks break down simply because they are carrying all their own burdens and all their own problems, sleeping with them, crowding into their minds. Nervous strain comes from assuming responsibility for things that were never intended to be carried by you. Rest in the Lord instead, he said. It's a wonderful rest. Imagine for example, you're struggling up a hill with a heavy suitcase. I've done that a number of times. I remember once trying to lumber up a steep sidewalk in Paris with two cumbersome suitcases back before the days when wheels and rollerboards were popular. I'd go a few feet and pause to rest and change hands and then grip those things and start out again. But imagine that at that moment a streetcar came by and stopped for me. Put your load right there, says the driver, and take this seat by the window. Well, I would still be going up the hill, I would still have my load, I'd still be headed in the same direction, I'd still have a journey in front of me, but I would be resting in the power that came from a source from outside of myself, so that I would simply lean back and say, thank you, Lord. I believe that's something of what it means to rest in the Lord. Nancy LePont wrote a little book about this from her own experience. It's called Living in God's Rest. She described a hard period in her life. The state government dissolved her position at work, and her husband's retirement wasn't enough to cover their bills. He was a Vietnam veteran who had contracted multiple disabilities from Agent Orange. They were depending on the Veterans Administration to help them, but months went by. Nancy said they were hanging by a thread, but they read the Bible every day and they prayed about their needs. Six months later, her husband was diagnosed with a melanoma requiring surgery. At the same time, their aging parents were suffering from disability and their adult children were encountering difficulties of their own. Just when Nancy felt at the breaking point, she said the Lord gave her a word It came forcibly into her mind or into her heart and it was the word rest. The word came to her with unmistakable clarity. Rest, R-E-S-T. At first, Nancy took this to mean physical rest because she had worn herself to exhaustion. So she started going to bed early and sleeping a little longer and not feeling so guilty about taking naps. But still the Lord brought this word to her mind, rest. And she began noticing how many times in the Bible this word occurred, such as here in Psalm 37. She said, it wasn't just physical rest I needed. The Lord had much more in mind. So Nancy did a study of the word rest in the Bible, and it really changed her life. She wrote this little book based on her study. She said, quote, resting, is so much more than taking a nap or stopping our frantic pace of life for a quick breather before running onward. The truth is that if you do not know how to rest in God, your attempts at attaining inner peace will prove futile. Nancy looked up the references to rest in the Bible and made it a real focus of her study and meditation. She especially would draw strength from Psalm 91, Which begins, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. She said that when our minds are in this kind of spiritual rest mode, we cannot be shaken. We are abiding in complete trust and faith that God is in complete control and we are not. And that's not only all right with us, it's really wonderful. He is not only in control but he has all the wisdom and knowledge by which to govern our affairs and he decides and acts on our behalf and for our good. He knows what our needs are and our purpose, our calling and our gifts from him are to be used for his glory. She said that is a wonderful way to experience God's rest. Well, if you battle nerves like I do, I wanna suggest a similar project for you. Go to a concordance or maybe an online Bible source like Bible Gateway and choose a good translation and look up that word, rest. Now don't be dismayed, in the new King James Version, there are 546 occurrences of that word from Genesis to Revelation. But by scrolling down the list and scanning the verses, you can eliminate most of them. For example, there are a lot of verses that talk about the rest of something happening or about what the rest of the people did, and you can skip all of those. But you may find, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 verses that relate to your specific study. Only one will say, rest in the Lord, and that's in Psalm 37, but there are a lot of other times in which the word rest occurs in a similar way. For example, in Matthew 11:28 and 29, Jesus said, "'Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, "'and I will give you rest.'" So spend the next month or so studying the collection of verses that the Lord gives you. Just jot down the references on a pad, And then go to your desk day by day and start where you left off before and look up the references and read them in the context. And you may find ways of categorizing them or organizing them. And you can even create your own small group Bible study to share with others on the subject of resting in the Lord. You might even want to go on and look up other words like quiet. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, in quietness and confidence shall be your peace You may want to look up the word still. For example, Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. This is a very prolific subject in the Bible. It's important to God. So when you do a topical study like this and you just immerse yourself for a while in that subject of inner spiritual rest, you learn how to entrust things into God's care and into his keeping you learn how to trust Him because you are regularly taking your people, your problems, your potentials, and you're committing them to the Lord, then really you'll begin living on another level. You'll be resting in the Lord. Jesus, said the hymnist, Jesus, I am resting, resting, in the joy of what thou art, I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. Well, I'm glad you've tuned into this podcast. I hope it's been a restful few minutes for you. It was produced by Joshua Rowe and Clearly Media. Edited by Elijah Rowe. Music by Jordan Davis. For more information and resources, visit my website at robertjmorgan.com. You can follow also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is Robert John Morgan speaking. Thank you for listening.